So we're going to look in the book of Romans. If you got your Bible, turn and look to Romans 16. As you know, the book of Romans is a heavy, heavy duty book of theology, probably the heaviest theological tome in the New Testament. But because we got 15 minutes, we're not doing that. We're just going to go to the most boring part of Romans, the part that you skip on a regular basis, which is Romans 16. And we're going to have like a little test of honesty here. So Romans 16 says, I commend you to this, greet this person, 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 greet this person. It's like a genealogy. How many of you, when you read the book of Romans, skip that? Yeah, come on, keep your hands up. These are the honest people in your congregation. How many of you can get to genealogy, skip the genealogies? Yeah, that's what this is. So one of the really long, boring lists of names in the Bible, the ones that we all skip. So I just want to remind you that it's God's word, the Holy Scripture, the ancient text, the sacred diaries, the number one bestseller in the world. And if you're skipping it, you should feel really, really guilty. That's where you're starting. Because, you know, we we come to these and we think they're really boring. That's what's actually true. And the truth is, I feel that way sometimes a little bit myself. I skipped my own graduation from university because there was no way I was sitting through that list of names. I went to my son's graduation from university a few years back, and I left and went to Tim Hortons during it. Brought back coffee for everybody in the row, so I was serving God. That's how I argued that. My wife just graduated from a master's degree about two weeks ago, so her graduation is coming up. I'm trying to find a visit somewhere I have to do in a church. So I might have to be in Whitehorse that day as well. Because when they start going through those literally thousands of names in a university graduation, you're pretty sure you're going to die. And you start thinking to yourself, although you can never say it, that I'm only here for the three seconds that my wife, in this case, walks across the front, and then i got to sit here for the other five hours just killing time. That's what we actually think. So what's in a list of names? Why this list of names in Romans 16? Well, let me just say they're great names. That's one good reason to read it. And you may or may not remember that in ancient times, names were reflective of personalities. And people, and at least that's what every commentary in the world says, I'm never sure how that works, whether the baby gets the name or the name makes the baby. I'm not quite sure how it is that they know their character when they decide to name them. Nevertheless, if you look at some of these names, for example, if you read in verse 5, greet my dear friend Epenetus. Epenetus, somebody like Eeyore, always sorry. If you go down a little bit later, verse 8, greet Ampliatus, someone who had too much to say, could never stop talking. You get to verse 11, you've got Narcissus, the person who spends all his time in front of mirrors. It's where we get someone who has a problem, who has, a, has narcissism. You've got names like asyncretous. Imagine if your name was asyncretous. Like, really, they knew before you were born, and you got born, and they named you because you couldn't keep time when this worship team was singing. That, that's how you got that name. Because that's what it means. Like, who names their kid that? But they did. If you look in verse 15, philologist, it's a person who can't get enough books. It's where we get someone who has a love of books, if you have Phlegon, really, if you remember, any of you done any sort of personality typing, you know the original personality types, the four quadrants, one of the first of those was a phlegmatic personality based on this name, which is someone who is extremely melancholic, 
So it would be someone who's maybe working at Heritage North Funeral Home, something like that. That's this guy, and he gets listed. All those lists of names is interesting, but it's still, for most of us, just a boring list. So why do we look at it? Why is it even here? Uh, let me suggest that most of us through our life pick up these lists. We have our own list of names that may be unique to us. It may be that one person's on another person's list, but it's different. So, for example, I have one list. It's on a baseball bat. Most of you have been here enough to know that I coach baseball for 20 years and so love doing it. I started with younger age groups and I coached a nine-year-old team, Mosquito Baseball, and everybody on that team signed the bat at the end of the year and gave me this bat. Now, I have quite a few of those sorts of things over 20 years, but this one I kept. I don't keep them all, but this one I kept. I really liked because on that bat are these two names, Cody and Clinton. It's two nine-year-old kids who had had a terrible experience in sports, who didn't want to play anymore, who didn't want to be playing baseball, but their parents made them go, and so we were doing babysitting for them while they went shopping, and that's kind of the way that sports thing went. But over the year, those two young men learned to love team games and sport and went on to continue playing. So I like that bat because their names are actually Clinton, the second one of those, he ultimately, through that transition in his own life, led into more conversations with his family, who all accepted Christ. And Clinton now is a guy who's part of a college age group with my son, who's getting married to a young woman from a church I planted. And it's pretty fun to see how just baseball and a little baseball bat and a nine-year-old name has a whole story attached of what God's doing. There's an even more important name on there to me, a guy named, well, we called him Pickle. His name was actually Dylan, and he's a nine-year-old who, true story, who phoned me from a telephone booth before the season ever started. I'd never met him. When you're doing nine-year-old baseball, you kind of get a list of names. That's your team. You don't have a whole lot of choice in it, and I'd never met this young man, but this nine-year-old phones me and says, hello, my name is Dylan, and you don't want me on your team. Never met him. He had to do some work to find my number his coach's number, and said, I don't, you don't want me on your team. I'll quit now if you want me to. And I said, well, where are you phoning me from? And he said, a, a telephone booth. I can't phone from home. And led to a long, difficult story of a nine-year-old boy who didn't like himself, didn't feel like he was worth anything, terrible home background. They moved three times through the, through the season. His mother had issues with drugs and a whole long, sad story. By the end of that year, Dylan made the all-star team. To me, it's worth keeping the bat for. Because maybe through just a sporting kind of event, it would change his life. Maybe. It's a list. We keep them. They're important. And these names are important to Paul. It's a trip down memory lane. It's worth remembering Phoebe that he talks about in verse 1 of 16 Phoebe says, I commend you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church. Receive her in a, in a way worthy of the saints. Give her any help she needs. So she was a great help to many people, including me. Phoebe's counterculture statement of massive proportions says, servant, deacon, huge help. Phoebe likely carried Paul's letter to Rome for him, was a leader in the church. And I kind of wonder when I read it if Paul, when he put her first in this list, knew what he was doing. Never really sure, but I know that it was so counterculture in a hugely patriarchal society, he was creating a whole storm 
of things that was going to happen for centuries later continues today based on this one verse, this one person. He goes on, he talks about Priscilla and Aquila, who he says, they risked their lives for me. In his list, they made the list because they did something that wasn't a very common experience. You can't say it about many people. Went way to their way to help them. Priscilla and Aquila. Epanetus, that melancholy kind of person, he says in verse 5, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. He was the first person Paul ever saw give his life to Jesus in Asia. He was the first person in Paul's ministry to the Gentiles who accepted Christ and was the beginning of what would be millions and millions of people, which is part of the reason you're here today in this church. When you read a penitent, this one name, the first follower of Jesus in Asia. It's an amazing story for Paul. This person makes the list. I remember him, Paul, saying, I remember this guy. I can actually remember the first person I ever had the privilege to lead into the Lord. He's actually now is the chief of staff for the premier of BC. But that's kind of immaterial. At the time, he was just a whiny little kid. <laughs> but I can remember it really well. Paul remembers a penitent. He talks about Mary. He says she is an incredible worker. When everybody else had gone home from the church on the church work day next weekend for you, Mary was still there. She was still cleaning the windows. She just served and served and served. He talks about Rufus. And he, Rufus, who's in verse 13, says, Chosen Lord, his mother, who'd been a mother to me as well. Can you see her in his imagination? Paul's thinking about when I was by myself, when I had nothing else. Rufus's mother sort of adopted me. Some of you have that person in your own life. This person who kind of decided, like, this guy's on their own. I'm just going to take care of them. I'm going to invite them over for dinner. I'm going to pack them a lunch as well. I'm going to do something extra for them. Another thing about Rufus. Rufus was probably the son of Simon of Cyrene. The Simon of Cyrene who carried the cross of Jesus at Golgotha. On the road to the cross. All important people... What's in a name? See, we skip this all the time. And we forget that in Paul's ministry, in Paul's expansive life, it was people that made the difference. It's people that he remembers. So he writes this deep, deep book of theology, but the last chapter is not theology. It's people. So what's in a name? It's interesting to look back in history just a little bit. Back medieval days, there was a group of people, early days of the church, who saw the struggles of living for Jesus publicly pretty hard. And they chose to withdraw into lives of isolation. They intended it to draw them closer to God, to be able to allow them to focus on God alone, not get distracted by the stuff around in the world. The first of those were called hermits in church history. Then they started having things called hermitages, where the hermits lived. And then they had a whole movement that was begun called the monastic movement that grew out of that. In church history, you can track all of that. But one of those people took that a little bit further, step further, and he found a 60-foot pillar standing in an old Roman ruin, and he made a ladder, he leaned up on it, got up on the top of the pillar, and then kicked the ladder away. And history tells us he lived on top of that pillar, in isolation, separated from the world, to focus on God for 30 years. 30 years. 
survived by dropping a string down and people would attach a piece of pizza or something on the bottom and he'd pull it up, eat his pizza. We don't want to get into detail on that whole experience. <laughs> it begs some obvious questions. <laughs> but he started a movement as well and those people were other people who started to live on pillars and they were called pillar saints. And it's legitimate in the sense that Jesus taught us to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind entirely, and they believed in that, and they did it. At extreme levels, you can't even imagine, but they did skip the second part, right? Which was to also what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Also, love your neighbor as yourself. If we live our life on a pillar, there's no boring list of names. If we live our life on a pillar, there's no community when we need it. There's no church. There's no list. There's no names. There's no Rufuses, the families we touch who build into our lives, who care for us when we need somebody to care for us. There's no seniors that begin to feel important again who felt all alone. There's no Phoebes who create new paradigms of thinking. There's no Appendatuses who are our children in the faith. There's no Priscillas and Aquilas, faithful friends who stood by us in the best and the worst of times, who risked their lives for us. There's no Andronicuses, people who mentored us, who modeled outstanding lives. What happens if we live our life on a pillar is when the things matter the most, when we come to the end of it all, the last chapter for us sometimes is just our theology. And there's no people to write down. There's no list of names. So what's that got to you to do with you and me in an installation service kind of Sunday? Well, Jeremy, for you, it's really simple. The life of a pastor is not life on a pillar. Not at all. It is not withdrawing into an office every day, all the time. Do you have to do that sometimes? Absolutely you do, to study, to be prepared, to present the word of God. But it's not ultimately the end of the story. End of the story in church ministry is not, can you say, did I have good theology, but did that good theology lead to life change in the lives of people significant relationships that I can point to, that I can say this person, that mattered, and this person, that mattered, and this person, that mattered, and this person, that mattered. To create a list. People that you've led to Christ. People that you've mentored. People who've stood by you. People that you stood by. Because at the end of the day, it's the last chapter that matters. It's the last chapter I can think of many people, I was in a church, the church I planted for 18 years, and I have a long list, my list of names. Names I would put down of really horrific stories sometimes, and really awesome stories other times. But people who I had the privilege to stand by in the worst events of their lives, and people I had the privilege to stand by in the best events of their lives. You get to stand by them when their babies are born. You get to stand by them while their parents die. You get to be with them in the best and the worst. And it is a tremendous privilege because it means every time you do that, you're writing another name on your list. A list that matters for eternity. That's true for a pastor. But here's the other side. It's also true for a church. Also true for a church. Because there are way too many people in way too many of our churches who think it's the pastor's job to do that, and so they withdraw into isolation. They go on to their little pillar, and they say, I'm going to live there for 30 years and focus on God alone. And does that matter? Of course it matters. 
but not without the second part. Love your neighbor as yourself. Not without the decision to get involved in the lives of other people. And sometimes we just forget that every person matters. That everyone wants to be on someone's list. Sometimes we forget Paul's words in 1 Thessalonians when he says that when he gets to heaven, when he stands before God, he says his resume will be the people he's met. The people whose lives he's changed. In fact, he says, they will be my glory. That's what he's going to say when he gets to heaven. Here's the list of people. Here's my resume, God. Here's the reason I get to come in. Jesus did the work, but he did it so we could share that with other people. And that takes all of us. So I don't need to see your list. I don't want to see your list because I have no history with the people you have history with. I've ascribed no meaning into their lives. There's no relationship of value. Your list in each of your lives has cost me nothing. But every person on your list will cost you a lot. And Lord willing, will also give you a lot. You'll write into their life just as they write into yours, and they will be your glory, your hope, your crown. Paul's words. So as a new pastor, as a church, look around you. I mean, literally, look around you at the people in this church. Look around you in the chairs in front of you, the chairs beside you, the chairs. Those are people you need to be writing into their life and they need to be writing into yours. But once you've done that, you need to look out the windows and start to say there are people who are not here yet. There are people in this community all around us that Jesus died for that I need to be writing into their life. I need to be creating their name on my list. I need to invest in them so much that years down the road you can say, I remember the Appenitus the first one I ever led to Christ in the Yukon. This person who stood by me in the worst of times. This person who modeled what it looks like. You need to create that list. So my encouragement to you, to both of you, as you do an installation service, to Jeremy, to the church, is build your list. Don't take it for granted. Because Paul wrote this greatest book of theology that we have in the Bible, inspired by the Holy Spirit, but equally inspired by the Holy Spirit was the last chapter, the last word. And the last word was about people. That needs to be the chapter that you're writing. Thanks.